You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Hey, let me uh, just uh, start off by, I just want to pray together because I believe that God's got a message for you today and that sometimes we can get in here and we can get going and we kind of just expect someone to stand up and speak. And, and what I want to make sure today is that you engage with God because you could come to church and actually not engage with the living God and that would be a travesty, wouldn't it? Like I went to church, but I didn't actually connect really deeply with God. And so let's just take a moment. Will you just quiet your heart? Take a moment and just would you agree with me as we pray? Jesus, today we want to hear from you. So even right now, I just step aside. Just get out of the way, God, so that you would speak what you want in and through uh, this morning. God, we choose to engage our heart, not just our head, but that all of us, God, we would engage and then we would be moved to respond based on what you would want to say to us today, God. So today we just want to say to you, We're listening, and we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, it is great being here with you. I want to let you know uh, just about a couple stories. One, I know a high school student who became a Christian her freshman year. But by the time she got to her junior year, she actually had read through the whole Bible, which is unique because there's, you know, some people who are Christians, they've never read through the whole Bible. But she had done it by her junior year. And she was actively involved in her church youth group, and it changed a lot of her outward behavior. So she, wasn't, she didn't swear anymore. She changed a lot of her outward behaviors that maybe would say, hey, I'm just, I live just like the world does. And so she had changed those things. But during her senior year, God started dealing with her heart. He started saying, I want to deal with your motives, like why you do what you do. Because you can look good on the outside, but your heart can still be having some stuff in there that are wrong motives. So God began dealing with her heart and peeling back those layers. And so she said, quote, I thought I had this Christian thing down, but now God is peeling back a whole new layer, helping me become more like him. When will I get this all figured out? Isn't that the question? We ask, when when are we going to get it? Some of us are like, when am I going to arrive? And when you say, when am I going to arrive? You're thinking of somebody out in front of you that you perceive has a better spiritual life or, or more spiritual knowledge or a better Christian walk than you. And you're thinking, well, when will I get there? When will I arrive? That's what she's asking. I know a married couple who had happy and fun down for years. They went on great vacations. They partied with their friends. Everything was social and just living their careers and raising their kids. But God came along and told them it was time for more. The thing that caused them to be receptive to that is that life's challenges and their own brokenness are currently growing this couple up, growing their faith and reshaping their view of what it means to be Christians. God is growing them up in their walk. I know a young man who accepted Christ in his church when he was little, and he continued to follow Christ through his young adult years. And then his father died. And so disappointments and setbacks and that loss, it just seemed too close, too close to home, too costly to lose someone you love. And in the days after the memorial service, as grief closed in, he didn't talk to God for at least two months. That young man was me. In this series, we are looking at the tension, the tensions of life. And we're looking at the tensions between the the reality, but the almost, the almost, but not yet. And we're looking at different tensions, and tensions are important. One of them that we've looked at is that you can know God, and yet God is a mystery. There's a tension between both those things, that you can actually know God, and he's a mystery. Another one is that God has ideals. His principles work, 
his promises deliver, that God will do what he said he's going to do, and he has ideals about how we ought to handle our resources, how we ought to live our lives. He has ideas, and those principles work, but the beautiful thing is that God also uses broken people. There's a tension between the two. We, last week, we talked about the Bible is all true. It is the inspired, living, active word of God, and not everything true about life is in the Bible. There are other truths and other disciplines of life that are not in the Bible. We put the, the Bible as the filter through which we take other truths in life to discern. Is it just truth, but it just doesn't happen to be in the Bible, or is it actually anti-biblical falsehoods? And today we're going to talk about this, that you can know God in a moment, but it will take you forever to figure that out. You can know God in a moment, but it will take you forever to figure out what does knowing God mean? What does that actually mean, and, and what does that look like for me? The disciples knew Jesus. They were with him all the time. They knew him, but you watch the course of their life. It took forever for them to figure out whose kingdom to live for and what they were to do. We have a culture right now that pushes back against commitment. Have you noticed? We put, look at a culture that says, well, I don't know, maybe we just want to live together instead of getting married. Or, or a culture that says, hey, I want all the benefits without any of the responsibilities. We push back at commitment. We think that we're most free when we have the lack or the absence of commitments. And advertising has figured this out in our culture. And so you'll notice right now, like AT&T will offer, you can purchase a new phone without a contract at the, listen, no commitment price. This discounted equipment, this non-discounted equipment purchase option does not require a two-year contract or other long-term service commitment. They're still going to sell what they're going to sell, but they're going to say, listen, we're going to take away the obligation, we're going to take away the commitment, and actually just give you the cost up front, but we want to try and give you perceived freedom. Point Alarm says this, we don't force you to accept any contract commitments because we know that you'll like our service and want us to keep protecting you month after month, year after year. Again, we're taking the commitment away because we know that the benefit will be so important. You'll keep sending a, you know, your monthly payment. There's also no commitment sports. No commitment sports networking. The World Wrestling Entertainment WWE Network is now offering $9.99 a month with no commitment. You'll continue to get all the live pay-per-view access to their massive on-demand library without the six-month commitment. What is advertising doing? It's simply trying to take it away for, in our culture, to take away the idea of commitment, but to still put you under obligation. That's what it does. Why? Because life in the 21st century has changed. People want all the benefits, but accept none of the obligations. Have you noticed that? All the benefits, but none of the obligations in the idea that that will somehow make us more free consumption, eat, you know, consum consuming, whether it's material things or possessions or gathering, consumption is positive, but commitment is not. Freedom is presumed to be the absence of commitments rather than the choice of commitments. But ask somebody who served in our military that the commitment they make to serve there requires sacrifice, requires commitment in order to ensure the freedoms that we enjoy. Ask someone who's been married for a long time. They will understand that they're in the marriage that the, to get the freedom of being married, the freedom of relating to another, the freedom of the trust that's built, not just because of their love, but the law of commitment. Those two things together build a deeper relationship than one, either one could on their own. Just the love until the love runs out. 
or just the law where you're border in the same house, but you're not really in love with each other anymore or pursuing or bonding in relationships. Freedom is found within the context of commitment. So I want you to know, if you take your outline out of your program today, we're going to take some notes here together, and God's going to just speak to you some things I think that he wants to address in your life as he's assuring you of your love and as he's challenging you in areas that he wants to maybe say, hey, it's time to grow. It's time to get uncomfortable with being comfortable. He wants you to go deeper. Number one in your outline, becoming a Christian can happen in a moment. You'll be able to understand and receive the gospel message. So in a moment, like you have the capacity to understand that you can know God, that you can come to know God in a moment. You don't have to clean up your life before you come to God. You could right now where you are, you say, I could come into a relationship with God. I can know him in a moment. Right now, you couldn't get an appointment with most celebrities or most politicians. But in a moment, you could know the living God, the creator of the universe, the God who created you, who crafted you, and your mom's, it was you were in the inmost being there, and your, and your mom, he crafted and created you. As he grew you up, he's known everything about your entire life. He knows the future that when you and I are mortal and we die, he is eternal. He is unchanging. You could know him in a moment. You have the capacity to do that, to receive the gospel message. Paul said it this way, in Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between a Jew and a Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's saying, listen, you have the capacity. If you're being drawn by God, you have the capacity to know him in a moment. You can know God in a moment. But on the flip side, it's going to take you and I forever to figure out exactly what does that mean. But you can know him. You have the capacity to believe in your heart that there was a great exchange. You say, what great exchange? The great exchange is this, that when you and I put our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross, we're affirming, we're saying, Jesus on the cross, what you did was this. You hung on the cross and you took upon yourself all of my sin. It was placed on you. Jesus is God. And Jesus said, I will go and become the only God-man that ever existed. That's why he was a virgin birth through Mary. And he lived a perfect life, didn't deserve death, lived a perfect life, but took all of our sin upon himself on the cross. He said, I will willingly go there and take what is not mine. In fact, it's yours, and it's mine. It's y'all's, right? Take all of our sin upon himself on the cross. He'll be buried, raised to new life, as God. He will satisfy God's righteous requirement with wrath against sin because God is just and God is loving. Well, in doing so, there's this great exchange that happens that we say, God, I'm going to put my faith in you. What you did on the cross could save me. I'm going to believe that your death and your burial and your resurrection can save me. I didn't do anything about it. I'm believing. I'm giving you my faith in that. And in that moment, then, when you and I do that, then God gives to us his righteousness. Wouldn't that be nice? To trade all of our sin, all our mistakes, 
all our shame and receive instead his righteousness. That's the great exchange. If God is drawing you, you can know God in a moment, but it will take you forever to figure out what that means, right? You can commit to a first date. Hey, I'll go on a first date, but if things go wrong or things get weird and I'm out of here, right? You're like, I'm committing to that. Well, that's a much different commitment than committing to a marriage and being years in a marriage and understanding firsthand, like, I know what the sacrifices are. I know what the cost has been. I know the investment that I've had to make. It is a much bigger difference. Both are commitment, but one is very different than the other, isn't it? So you could commit to a first date in a moment, but you know after a, a lifetime of knowing God just what that cost actually was and what it means to elevate him above ourselves. See, Jesus understood full commitment. When Jesus has God in heaven, when he said, I will leave, I'll come to earth and become that, that man and I will live a perfect life, he knew that his commitment to us, his commitment to solve the sin problem, his commitment to take your sin and wash it away was going to require sacrifice on his part. For him, that commitment he made was unto death. So we don't have to part, was his commitment. He knew what it was up front. He makes this gift available then to anyone who declares and believes. You say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? What does declaring and believing actually look like? How does declaring and believing actually change me? Uh, what does it mean that I'm born into a spiritual battle? See, some people think that you want to add God to what you're already doing. Uh, well, I've got my life going on. I just want to add God as a piece to it. I want to add God's blessing on me and my life. And then you don't realize you're born into a spiritual battle. The battle is for your soul. And sin was winning all along because you're born into a defeated system. You and I sin, and when we're, we've sinned, we are condemned. We are no longer fit for heaven. But God says, I'll make that great exchange with you. I will do it because I love you. But as we begin to grow with God, we realize that we are born into a spiritual battle. Some of you want your relationship with God to be like a cruise ship. Okay, God, I just check in, and you take care of all the food, and you take care of all the entertainment, and you take care of the relationships, and you just make it smooth sailing, and I just get this great big adventure, and it's just like a cruise ship. And God's like, no, 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 please understand, when you accept Christ, you're already in a spiritual battle, but when you accept Christ, you now are in counter to the system of this world. You are going to have a spiritual battle going on in your life. It's going to grow you up into the commitment that you've made. Well, what do you mean a spiritual battle? Well, I want you to know, number two, that being a Christian is not easy. It's a lifelong tension between the flesh and the spirit. That there's a tension that exists in your life. That in your heart, in the real you, the saved you, if you've accepted Christ, you've got the saved you. It's the righteous one, the real one, the authentic you. But there's this other thing that's going on. It's called your flesh. And so here's the real you who God has called and created you to be. But your flesh is going to be crying out for you to be someone else, to be something else. You're going to experience this tension. Oh God, when am I going to be done with this tension that's going on in my, in my life between my spirit, which is the saved real part of me, and yet my flesh that I'm, am in, you know, I'm bound up in? Well, the day comes when you and I will be freed from our flesh. That tension will be gone. But until then, you and I are born into a spiritual battle. You're going to have the pressure and stresses of the world. You're going to have the pressures and stresses of your own flesh. And the flesh boasts about itself. It boasts about the pride of life. It boasts with the lust of the eyes. It has its own desires. And so as long as we are in this body, we are going to face those things. We're going to battle those things. 
It is not easy. But here's the good news. Jesus didn't die to make your life easy. He didn't die to make you happy. He died to make you holy. And for him it was great sacrifice. And you and I begin to understand what it looks like to walk into a relationship and have experience like that. For Jesus, that commitment that he made to us meant death. And I believe that in our lifetime, we will see even here in America some who will die because of their belief in Jesus Christ. It happens around the world every day. We're often shielded from that kind of thing here. But I don't know that that will sustain that much longer. But whether or not you will die and give your life for Jesus or, or not, you're still in a battle. For all of us, you're going to have a lifelong battle of putting to death your fleshly desires and saying no to the God of this age. Remember what his name is? The God of this age, we name him as I please. That's his name. We do as we please. We, we don't need like some false little idol to set up in our, we just want to do what we want to do. That's the God of this age. There's going to be a lifelong battle between our flesh and doing what the God of as I please uh, and between what the real living God wants us to do because we've already said yes to Jesus. It's sacrificial. We are born into a battle. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said it this way in verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That is such a weird statement. If you were a first century Jewish person and you're like, I want to find out about this guy, Jesus, and I'm listening to him, and I do want to become a disciple of him. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus would look at the crowd, he'd look at you, and he'd say, hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. Hey, that's weird. That's a weird statement to say. What he's saying is, it'd be like going to you and say, uh, you need to take up your lethal injection and follow me. That's like what that's saying. Like, you just need to, like, completely, like, die to self, and now you're going to live for my kingdom. It's going to be a lot different. You're going to die to self. Jesus was up front. Jesus said things that were radical for people. In fact, some of the things Jesus said were so uh, commitment-oriented for people that they left. They said, I'm not going to give that commitment, and they were gone. Jesus didn't shield it. He didn't hide it. He didn't bait and switch. He knew first what the cost was going to be for him, and he was calling you and I into a spiritual battle. In business, you've got to pay your dues. If you want to climb the corporate ladder and get to a level where you attain what you want to attain, you're going to just have to pay your dues. And if you are new in business and you listen to somebody older in business, you're not going to be offended by them telling you, hey, you've got to just pay, you've just got to put in the time, you've got to put in the commitment, you've got to be all in, you got to, you know, you're going to listen to that and you're going to say, oh, it is. You're not going to argue with that because it's just the way it is. But Jesus spoke about the battle the cost of discipleship, and the sacrifice of commitment. However, people, we often want to overlook that. We want to argue with that. In business, it just is what it is, but Jesus says, no, listen. When you can know me in a moment, it's going to take you forever to figure out that really it, the cost is about his kingdom, not our kingdom. Jesus was straight up about it. We want to overlook it at times. Why? Well, I want you to realize, maybe this will highlight for you just because it's been the Olympic season. I don't know if you've watched any of the Olympics. But while losers reject commitment, leaders demonstrate it and demand it. Losers don't want any commitment. I heard an interview of an Olympian just uh, last night who said, you know what, I made the commitment to go back to the Olympics a year ago. 
I waited too long, and it showed up in her performance in the swimming event. It just didn't work out well for her because she said, hey, I'll make the commitment to go back to the Olympics, but I'll just do it a year in. She didn't make a four-year commitment at that point in time. Think of Olympic athletes right now. We see the glory. We see the championship. We see like them going for a medal and doing those things, and then we get to hear, but they always talk about, they always talk about the sacrifices. When they sign on for four years, they don't, they're saying, hey, I will sign on. I want to go to the Olympics. They don't necessarily know all the sacrifice, all the commitments, all the compromises that will have to be made. They don't know all the obstacles they'll face. It might be injury. They might have to have surgery. They might have to re, you know, come back from an injury. They might have to do all sorts of things. They don't know what the full scope of that commitment is at the moment. But as they live it by day by day, every experience, every moment over four years, then on that stand, they will tell you what that commitment cost them how they learned, how they lived out firsthand what the real costs were. Well, why would God require commitment? Why couldn't God just say, hey, uh, let me just fix everything. I'll make it all good, and you guys can just have a cruise ship life. Why would God require commitment from us? Why would he do that? Peter Drucker said this, unless commitment is made, there are only promises and hopes, but no plans. You could have a plan to get your finances in order, right? But unless you take the Dave Ramsey class and put some like actual plans in place and application to those, you're not gonna you're you're gonna just still have hopes that your finances will get in, arranged in the right way. You're gonna have promises that you'll get out of debt, but there won't be any feet to it. But when you take the class, it helps you put commitment to those plans to lead to the promises that you want, even in your finances. Without commitment, you cannot have depth in anything, whether it's a relationship, a business, or a hobby, said Neil Strauss. Without commitment, you can't have depth in anything. Orrin Woodward said, one person with commitment accomplishes more than a thousand with an opinion. Isn't that true? If you're committed, you're going to accomplish far more than somebody who just has an opinion on something. We see it all the time in leadership. We see it all the time in our world. Tyler Edwards said this, the problem that we are facing in the church today is that we have so many Christians who've made the decision to believe in Jesus, but not a commitment to follow him. They basically said, cognitively, I'll believe. I'll believe in Jesus, but I'm making no effort in my life to actually be a follower, to read his word, to understand him, to be in relationship with him on a daily basis. There's no follow-through on that commitment. It's a, a cognitive faith. It's saying I'm adding something already to my already busy life. He goes on and says this, Tyler Edwards says, we have people who are planning to, meaning to, trying to, wanting to, going to. We just don't have enough people who are doing it, who are being followers of Jesus Christ. Chances are, without commitment, we would assume God's kingdom serves our kingdom. But we learn through life and loss and choice to die to ourselves and live for Christ. Isn't that true? Without commitment, we begin to think that God is there to serve us. God, make my life happy. Bless me. I want your, your favor. I want your blessing. And I hear these statements all the time. Uh, there are many, many people who even just, you know, on their social networking, they'll just put up things that, that they're not actually following, being a follower of Jesus Christ and knowing him. They're just basically saying, God, I really would like to have your attention, your favor, your blessing on my life. I'm adding you 
to my kingdom. Instead of saying, I'm losing me, I'm making about your kingdom. There's an Olympian, Maya Dorado. I'm going to put a picture of her up here. She just, uh, by the way, has three gold medals so far in these Olympics. She's 23 years old, and uh, she had a great quote that I want to read to you. She's a believer. She said this, Knowing that I'm a child of God and that his love for me is determined by nothing I can achieve or do on my own has given me a quiet confidence. I think that my faith has helped me chart my own course and pursue my goals when people around me may be going in different directions. Jesus' love for me and for all humanity is something that always helps me better love people around me when things get difficult. As for my swimming career, my faith has helped me remember that there are so many more important things in life worth doing. Swimming is a pretty selfish activity. And so I've always known that it can't be my entire, my whole world. Pretty smart for a 23-year-old, right? You say, what, is it, what does it gain me? I'm not saying that by committing to Jesus, it doesn't gain us anything in this life. It does. It gains us the right perspective. It gains us the right heart. It gains us the ability to say less of me, God, and more of you, to elevate you in what is ultimately important because ultimately I decay. We think life is all about gathering and keeping. But if you've been around life for any amount of time, you realize life is not about getting and keeping. Life is about losing. You lose freedoms. You lose your youth. You lose people around you. Someday at death, we lose everything. What do then do we gain? If you know Jesus, you can know him in a moment. You'll gain eternity in heaven with him. But sometimes it takes us forever to figure out what does that actually look like? How does that actually play out in my life? It'll take you forever to figure it out. Number four in your outline, the experience of disciples went from our kingdom to your kingdom. From our kingdom to your kingdom. When you watch the disciples, that's what you see all the time. They're like, God, I want you to come in and I want you to rescue Israel. We're under Roman occupation. And so God, I want you to kick the Romans out and make us just simply a Jewish nation again. We don't like having our own laws plus their laws. We just want our laws. And so they were so often saying, Jesus, when are you going to be king? Jesus, when are you going to fix our society? Jesus, when are you going to fix our politics? Jesus, when are you going to ensure other freedoms for us? God, when are you going to fix this whole like food making thing? You can just... Take food and bless it, and it multiplies. That'd be great. We're an agricultural society. Now we don't have to work anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? They're basically saying, Jesus, when will you make it a cruise ship? That's what the disciples all the time were asking. And they felt proud because they were like, we're on the inner circle. We're like, I'm like one of the 12. I'm like on the inside. So certainly when his kingdom gets elevated, when he, you know, as the Messiah fixes things, then we're going to be right there with him. And so we're going to, my kingdom, my little kingdom is going to go up and be right alongside of his. And nothing's changed in 2,000 years because people still think if I can just add Jesus, then my kingdom will expand. But what the disciples found out is something that takes you and I sometimes forever to find out is that it goes from our kingdom to your kingdom. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white and whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. 
sure they had name tags. I'm not sure how they figured out who they were, but they were right there. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Luke 9.33 tells us that he was very frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. It's our natural nature. Peter's up there with the disciples. They're looking. All of a sudden, Jesus turns bright white. You're like, whoa, he's glowing. And then all of a sudden, you get the two heroes of the faith. You get Elijah and you get Moses. And they're there. You're like, that's Moses. He's the guy who did the Ten Commandments. Like, he's the guy who, like, parted the sea and, and saw all the plagues on Egypt. You're going, there's Moses right there. And here's Elijah, this guy who was a prophet, like, unlike any other prophet. And they're just amazed. This guy is just, wow, right? And so what is instantly, Peter's like, here it comes. God's kingdom is coming to earth. We're going to kick butt on the Romans. Well, I want this to last forever. So he says, let's make houses. Let's put up a shelter here on the mountain. I don't ever want to leave this mountaintop experience. I want heaven like this to be on earth and be all the time. And some of you just came back from camp and you're saying, I just want that. I want Hume Lake all the time right now. And Jesus is saying, you can know me in a moment. It's going to take you forever to figure that out. And you've got to walk me into real life. So what happens? God speaks from heaven. Here's Peter speaking. Hey, let's make shelters. And God's like, ah, time out. Stop telling God what to do. And instead, this is my son. Listen. Listen to him. My question to you today is, are you listening to Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Or are you trying to attach him to your kingdom? Scriptures go on there in uh, verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it is written about him. Jesus isn't saying Elijah came and just met with us there on the mountain. He's using the figurative Elijah that John the Baptist, the one who had paved the way in the wilderness, John the baptizer, that he's the one who came and that he paved the way for the Messiah to come that would elevate the attention of the people. And then Jesus comes along as the Messiah. But since then, John the Baptist has been arrested. He's been beheaded. They have already done to him all that they wished. He has paved the road. There was a cost, and it came with commitment. I want you to realize something. We're talking in this series about tension. But you need to realize that the song of your life is in the tension. That the song happens when the tension's right. Not when it's one way or it's too loose or it's too tight. It's when the tension is right that, yes, you can know God in the moment, but don't think it just stops there and then you're forever good. That walking with Jesus is going to be a lifelong experience. It'll take you forever to figure that out. The song of your life is in the tension. Your story as a Christian will be defined by the degree to which you display faith that is sacrificial to gain what you cannot see. What's the song going to look like? What's the song going to be like? The song is going to be like when the story of your life is evidenced by sacrifice. The story of your life 
is going to sing when it becomes less of me, God, and more of you. Not just adding you to my kingdom, but rearranging my life to elevate your kingdom and who you are, God. That's where the song is. And to do that, it takes faith. Well, what's faith? Faith requires not being able to see something. In Hebrews chapter 10 through 11, verse 2, it says this. Remember those earlier days after you've received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Say again, right? When you, remember when you became a Christian? And you received the light, like the light bulb went on. You received Jesus. You knew him in a moment. You knew right in that moment you knew Jesus. Say, remember that? But right away what happened? You faced suffering, great conflict. Verse 33, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And you suffered along with those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but we belong to those who have faith and are saved. Now, you want to know what faith is? Here's the definition in scripture. It's right there in orange in front of you. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. You want to know what faith is? If you can see it, it's not faith. It doesn't require it. If you can see it, it doesn't really require faith. Faith is believing and having assurance and the hope that you can't see. That's why we believe in a God that we haven't seen. That's why there's no video evidence of Jesus dying on a cross. You can't see it. It's going to require faith that you can know God in a moment. But I've never seen God. But you can know him in a moment. You'd know him personally and relationally in a moment. And it'll take you forever to figure out what that means. And then you'll be face to face with God in heaven. All the tensions of life are gone. You will be known. And you will know as you are already fully known. It will be a beautiful moment. But to get there, it requires being unable to see. He said, faith is a confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. You know those ancient ones in the history and the heritage? Remember Elijah? Remember Moses? They had to have faith in what they couldn't see. Moses was just told, grab your stick, go over and tell Pharaoh, who by the way you ran away from because you committed murder, Moses. By the way, go back right to the authorities and put your stick down and say, God tells you to let all my people go. That's going to require faith. You can't see how it's all going to work out yet. You're thinking that might require sacrifice, God. No, it requires faith. But it's about my kingdom, not about your kingdom. It's this picture. I don't know about your life or mine, but so often we're, we're trying to reach to God to attach him to us. Instead, God says, I'm, I've always been all about you. I have. From the very beginning, I've always been all about you, and I love you so much. But I've sacrificed so that you could know me and I could know you in a moment so we don't ever have to be parted from this day forward, that we have the opportunity to be together forever in heaven. Otherwise, as a loving God, but still as a just God, there is 
requirement for our sin to be paid for. And if we haven't put our faith and trust in Christ, then that's on us. And God's saying, I love you so much, I don't want you to go to a place the Bible calls hell. And so he says, I want you to know that you can know me in a moment. Then as we begin to grow, we've made that commitment. But now as we begin to grow in life, we realize that life is about loss and how we manage loss and how we handle loss. And there's a beautiful picture here that these people, he's saying, listen, some of you, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Could you imagine that? If a persecution were to come, would you be like, dude, take my house, take my car. That's fine. Separate me. I have Christ. Most people will be dying to maintain what is theirs. In fact, I think the living right now are dying to keep what they will lose. Here's what I want the picture of my life to be. Here's what I think God wants the picture of our lives to be. This is just something that has made sense to me, and I want to share it with you. But when I've endured experiences, when I've endured loss, when I've had to walk through things, here's what I do personally for myself. I basically say, every loss that I have to experience, every sacrifice that we make for the Lord, and sometimes our sacrifice is obedience. It's giving God the first of our time, our treasure, our talents. It's saying no to my kingdom and saying yes to your kingdom. So sometimes the sacrifices I have have to do with me and my inner man and my heart. But sometimes they're external. Life is relentless. But God is good. And in those experiences, I want to like take that experience and like pile it up, or I'm going to put it right here as an evidence pile. And the evidence is not, hey, look at me, I'm good enough to become a Christian. No, I'm not good enough to become a Christian. Jesus is the only way I can become a Christian because of his righteousness that I'm saved. But having made that decision, now any loss I experience, I just add it up. God, may this loss be evidence that I follow you, that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Every loss. And so you take that thing and you, and you put it down and go, God, I want all that stuff by the end of my life. I want it to pile up and say, this is the evidence of my life, of my sacrifices, that in fact, God, I followed you, that I was indeed a follower of Jesus Christ. Every costly thing that we had to lay aside is evidence of he or she who follows. You can become a Christian in a moment, and it will continue to take you forever to figure out what that means And God is a good teacher, and he, by the way, is the best counselor. And he brings us to the right moments, at the right times in our lives. And maybe for you, you've had had young and free and happy for years. And maybe God is calling you to more. For others of you in this room, you're saying, maybe I've started to feel like I arrived. Like I know God pretty good, and I I have a quiet time, and I really need to spend time in God's word. I've I've arrived, and you've slacked off in knowing him deeper and and loving him more and being walked with him through life. And maybe you've just distanced and disengaged your heart a little bit. Maybe God's saying, no, it's time. It's time to come back. It's time to come back and come for more. And maybe some of you in this room, you're like, I don't know, God, just being honest. You're like, I've never made that commitment. I didn't know that Jesus' death on the cross could pay for all my sin. And that I could have a righteousness before God. That there's this unfair trade that all my sin goes on him and is canceled out. And all his righteousness comes on me with your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just a moment, if that's you today, then you can know God in a moment. I want you to understand this and know this full well, that you can know God in a moment. And the way that you do that is by putting your faith, faith is something you give, you give faith to God. And so maybe right now you want to give faith to the fact that Jesus died for your sin on the cross, but you got to tell him. you got to tell him with your own mouth. 
you got to tell them in your own heart, God hears you, but right where you are right now in your chair, why don't you pray a prayer like this, telling God that you believe in him. Just right now, say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you were God. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation on the inside. Cancel out all my sin and wash me white, whiter than snow. Because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.